as you're giving unto the Lord, and uh, hopefully maybe you can do both at the same time, would you begin to find your way to Luke's Gospel, either in your Bibles, your technology, find your way to Luke's Gospel, and we're starting a brand new series this month, and you know how I am that wherever I'm at at that moment, I think this is the most eternally impactful, important thing you could ever hear in all of your spiritual life. And uh, I, I have the exact same opinion. I know last week when we finished up uh, the series, May series on wholeness, I felt like that was absolutely crucial. And I started to get before the Lord on this and praying. And when God begins to download in these areas... Um, I just get excited about it. And so really, I think this is going to be incredibly helpful and impactful to everyone in the room, if you have ears to hear, because our new series is entitled, I Love God's Will. Everyone say that with me together. Ready? I love God's will. Well, let's do it like the sign says. How about that? I love the will of God. I love the will of God. I believe that as we share some concepts, that if you have ears to hear, some of this is going to be confirmation for you. I believe I'm going to challenge some of you. And here's what I honestly believe. I, I believe some of you are on the brink of some really important decisions. And in your heart, you really want to do God's will. But you're really, whether it's struggle or challenge, but you're... you're, you're you're trying to grab a hold of God's will. And sometimes, am I the only one that has a hard time figuring out God's will at times? Well, I sympathize and I believe that uh, we're going to get some help in this area. I don't know about you, but I feel like in the day we're living in, we don't hear as much about following and doing the will of God. And so we're going to answer some questions that swirl around God's will. How do I find God's will? Maybe you've asked that. How do I find God's will? How do I know if I'm in God's will? Can I miss God's will? What if I mess up along the way? Is there a plan B? Has anybody else wondered about plan B's? I've always wondered about plan B's. What if I make a bad decision? What if I make a, a number of bad decisions? Are there things that are God's will which apply to only me? Or, or does everybody have certain things that are the will of God? I mean, there's so many great questions. And we're going to do our best to answer every one of these questions and more. And all of these are important questions as a believer that you need to get a hold of. And I'm going to show you why. Before I get into the message, I want you to see a verse in Matthew 7, verse 21. Listen to this verse. This is really an important verse. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Now, does that get your attention? If you wonder if the will of God is important, you just put Matthew 721 on your mirror or on your refrigerator and it kind of brings into focus how important the will of God may indeed be in all of our lives. And before we answer all the questions that I threw out there, we have to answer the first question. And it's the one that I'm going to zero in on in this message. And, and, and it revolves around this. Do you love God's will 
Or better, will you love God's will? Now, I know you say instantly, yes. But, but I want you just to, to wrestle this out with me for just a moment. Do you or will you really love the will of God? Now, I've been a pastor since I was 24 years old. That's 33 years. And there have been numerous times in my life that I have wrestled with. Unfortunately, I'll just confess, there have been times that I've had to avoid and tried to avoid the will of God. Can we just be honest? Have you ever wrestled with the will of God? Let me, let's just, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever tried to avoid the will of God? When God called me to preach the gospel, he was calling me to the ministry, I had to figure out, is this the will of God? And when he led me to take certain churches through the years, I, I, had, to, I had to find a place and get alone and figure out, is this the will of God? When I was dating girls in college, after I became a Christian, and particularly after I accepted God's call to the ministry in my life, and, and you're, dating other, you're dating girls as you're going through college, you ought to ask yourself, is this girl a part of the will of God? Because if she is, then she's going to be signing up for a trip here. When we purchased our land, we, we wrestled with the word, the will of God with regards to that purchase. And, and as we're sojourning right now as a church, trying to find our permanent location, you know, we're wrestling with the will of God. You know, the will of God is a lot of our lives, is it not? And we all want to make a good decision in life. However, life isn't strictly about making good decisions or what seems to be the most logical, sensible, or even comfortable decision. Life, if you're a Christian, is about doing and obeying the will of God. You got to get a hold of that. You say, well, 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 well I, want, I, I, I want to make a good decision. Well, that's good. I want you to make a good decision too. But more than a good decision, I want you to make God's decision. And the truth is God has a plan. He has a will for everyone in this room. It's not just pastors who wrestle around with the will of God as to whether they're called to preach and what church they're to pastor and where they're to go next. I mean, everybody would say, well, yeah, I get that. A pastor probably ought to know the will of God. But hear me when I say this, the will of God isn't just about church life. The will of God is about your life. Jesus may actually have something to say about where you work. Jesus may have something to say about how long you should work there. When you should quit. Or if you should quit. Jesus might have something to say about the city you live in. Who you should marry. What house you should live in. Where you go to church. When you leave a church. How you spend your money. Where your kids go to school. I always find it fascinating when people use the phrase, well, you know, I just want to do what's best for my family or best for my kids. And I respect that because I want to do what's best for my family and my kids too. I mean, who's going to stand up here and say, no, no, not me. I want to do what's worse for my family. I want to make the absolute worst decision I can absolutely think of and then lead my family into it. There's nobody that would actually say that. But here's the key. It's not just what's doing best. The point should be, am I doing God's will? Because you can do what you think is the best, but if it's not God's will, uh, there might be 
there might be something that may not do just right. Because you may not have realized this when you confessed Jesus is Lord, what you were saying was that you would embrace His will. The best legacy I can leave my kids is not a dad who facilitates every preference they may have, but a dad who led them in the will of God. Now, that may not mean they like every decision I make, but they will know, my children will know when they stand over my grave, they'll be able to say one thing, maybe not anything else about their dad, but he did his best to lead us in the will of God. And we have an American church that unfortunately has lost the imperative of doing the will of God. We're not about doing the will of God. We're about doing whatever it is we think is what we want. So let's talk about that. Before we can talk about finding God's will and how do I know it's God and is that indigestion? Is that God speaking to me? Is that, you know, before we get to these things, let's talk about my will or thy will. This is, this is the foundation that we build upon for every other question you may ask of God. This is the first one. Is it my will or is it thy will? Luke, are you there? Chapter 22. Luke 22, let me read to you beginning with verse 39. Listen to this. Luke 22, 39, it says, Coming out, he, meaning Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, now listen what Jesus says, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Note that. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Now, he's, he's about ready to... To go into the last few hours of his life. He prays, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Also note that phrase, sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. My will or thy will. Now, all the gospel writers, with the exception of John, actually record this moment in the life of Jesus. And it's a familiar moment because it's a part of the crucifixion story where we find Jesus praying in Gethsemane before he's arrested. And then he's taken off, of course, to the Jewish leaders. He's taken to Herod. And ultimately, he stands before Pilate. Now, I'm using Luke's account because it sets up the sermon series in a really practical and relevant way, and it's this. Do you really love the will of God? Do you really want the will of God in your life? Is the highest aspiration you have to do the will of God? And are you willing to expend your life in participation in the will of God? These are the most crucial questions besides whether or not you'll be saved, you'll ever answer. Now for me, that's what is happening in the text today. Jesus is praying and he's preparing himself for what will shortly take place in his life. And as he goes to pray, he looks at his disciples and imagine he's looking at us as well. And he says these words, he says, pray lest you enter into temptation. And the account ends by telling us that the disciples fall asleep 
and they fall asleep because of sorrow, which leads Jesus then to repeat himself. He says it twice. I don't even know if Jesus says something twice. We might get ears to hear that they need to pray lest they enter into temptation. Now this leads me to ask at least two questions which are very important as we begin to study the will of God. The first one is this. What does it mean to sleep from sorrow? What does it mean to sleep from sorrow? Now, you know me. I, I like the language. And, and I, I looked it up in the original language. And the Greek word for sorrow, the Greek word for sorrow is grief over earthly loss, pain to make sad, Sour or reluctant mind, but the one I thought was interesting, it's the one I put on the screen there at the end, actually means an annoyance or that you're offended, which brings sadness. I thought that was interesting. They fell asleep due to any one of these, interestingly enough, because they were annoyed or they were offended, which brought them a sense of sadness. Now think about this. The disciples understood that things were falling apart, right? This Jesus movement, which at one time had thousands of people showing up, miracles taking place, signs and wonders. I mean, it was an amazing move of God, this Jesus movement. The disciples were watching this with their eyes. They originally thought, this is it. This is the guy that's going to establish the, the throne of David again, the messianic kingdom. We're going to kick, we're going to kick the Romans out of our land. Uh, all these Jewish leading hotshots are going to be run out of town. We're the ones that are going to set this stuff up. We're going to challenge everybody. Jesus is going to lead the whole thing. This is cool. And all of a sudden, these thoughts, which we know were running through their mind, had suddenly had to change because the winds of popularity had shifted and the same people who cheered Jesus into Jerusalem were about ready to jeer him on the cross. And they were starting to put it all together. They were starting to understand exactly where this was going. And, and you can imagine, they were exhausted. They, they were candidly annoyed. They were offended that things were not shaking out like they had hoped and planned. And if you'd ask, I'm sure, any of those disciples that were waiting outside of Gethsemane, if you asked them, hey guys, do you want the will of God? I bet you a lot of them would, would all of them raise their hand. they just, yes, I want the will of God. In fact, we thought we were in the will of God. Isn't the will of God when you've got thousands running around with you? Isn't the will of God when signs and wonders are flowing and a kid brings his lunch and you can feed everybody? Aren't, isn't, isn't the will of God when you can just spit on the ground, pick up a little mud, throw it in somebody's eye socket and he gets an eye? I mean, we really thought we were in the will of God, but now look what's going on. The whole thing has collapsed. Yeah, 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 we want the will of God. But what do you do when the will of God doesn't look like what you thought it should look like? Then it's easy to be annoyed. Isn't it? Has anyone else but me ever said to your personal life, this is your personal life, because years ago, baby, you had, a, you had an idea of what your life was going to look like at some point. And then you get to that point and you say to yourself, this isn't exactly what I had planned. This, 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 this wasn't exactly what I signed up for. I really thought it was going to look differently than this, Lord. I really thought, I, I 
I want your will. At least I said I wanted your will. But what do you do when what you see and what's going on around you isn't lining up to what you had originally thought was the will of God? Well, I'll tell you, these disciples, and it happens to others, they get annoyed, they get offended, and what happens is you start getting spiritually sleepy. People get sleep. I'm not talking about literal sleep at this point. I'm talking about the slumber, the slumber of spiritual laziness, sleepiness. That's what was beginning to happen. They're looking at everything going, I, I, don't, I don't get this. And they don't even want to pray. They just want to sleep. Then Jesus says the second thing, which is the question I want to bring to us, and that is, what was the temptation they were to avoid? Because that's what he says. Pray that you would escape or avoid temptation. You see, because things had not shook out the way they'd wanted, Jesus reminded them to not succumb to a temptation which shows up at just these kinds of moments. Now understand, Jesus, hear me as I, as I set this up, Jesus to a far lesser degree, but the disciples to a far greater degree, were suddenly confronted with the question as to whether they really love the will of God in reality. Even Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you here by his own words. See, it's one thing to love the will of God theoretically. It's one thing to sit in a nice air-conditioned church, pastor to be speaking, teaching to you, and say, hey, do you guys love the will of God? And we all go, yeah, yeah, I love the will of God. And it's great theory, isn't it? But boy, reality can live hard. And now it's the real deal. And so Jesus prays. And Jesus gets before the Lord and he prays about this very thing. And we know, obviously, Jesus passes the test of the moment. It's really kind of, you know, it ministers at least to me to see Jesus wrestling with the will of God. For me, it's like his humanity is leaking out here a little bit. He knows what's ahead. He knows it's not going to be pleasant. He knows there's a cross. He knows there's a beating. He knows these things. He knows what the Father has planned. He understands redemption. And here's the question. Do I yield to the will of God when it's not fun? So he tells the disciples, this is the temptation, and that's why you got to pray, because we're going to be facing the very things that you're beginning to understand that will happen to me. Imagine if I were Jesus, I know I'm not, but, but if, if Jesus is saying, you're going to have to pray about these very things, because the same thing that's happening to me is eventually going to be required of you too. Will you yield to the will of God, especially when that will of God isn't fun, it isn't successful, thousands aren't following, miracles aren't flowing, it isn't popping like it was just a year ago. Hey, what are you going to do? Are you still signed up for the will of God or are you only in the will of God when it makes sense, when it's comfortable, when it's fun? At least it makes sense to your eyes. It's a temptation for all of us. Let me tell you, this is, this, is not, this is not just a few. This is a temptation for all of us. You do this at work. When, work. when you go to work and it's not easy anymore, you say to yourself, is this really the will of God? I prayed about taking this job and I thought it was the will of God and now it's hard. I mean, I, mean, I could go through all of life. I, I, thought this, I thought my spouse was the one I was supposed to marry. I pray about it and it's the will of God and now I'm married and this is really hard. It's not fun anymore. This is work. 
I mean, how many things do I have to go through in order to illustrate all of these things? I, I, hey, I went, they fired me. And God told me to take the job. And then they fired me. Where does God's will fit into all of these things? Listen, the temptation is that sometime in your life you're going to face a moment where you're going to have to wrestle with whether or not you're sold out and love the will of God. And, and I'm just going to be really transparent. It's kind of where we are as a church body because it's easy to yield to the will of God when he's called you to visible success, at least as success is measured. It's easy to yield to the will of God when you're funneling millions of dollars in resource to go places. And maybe it's easy when you, when you get to live next to the ocean or you have three houses or you have all the toys you want. It's easy when you have, you know, the job and, and you're on the upward trajectory and you're getting promoted every year. It's easy to, to love the will of God. But what, but what if the will of God is a lot more challenging than that? And let me suggest this to you, that for everybody who really is following Jesus, there's going to come a moment that you're going to have to walk through your own Gethsemane. Everybody has to. Now, Jesus, he was fully divine and he was fully human. Both of those natures were at work inside of him. But yet, even with those natures at work, he's wrestling with this very thought. Jesus is on his knees. He's wrestling. He knows what's coming. And he actually says to the Father, I'd really like this cup to pass. But nevertheless, it's not my will. But thine be done. You see, he came to that moment where he said, do I really love? Am I going to embrace? Do I want the will of God in my life? Do I love it no matter where it leads me? Do I love it no matter what it costs me. I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for him. Now, let me talk a little bit about what is God's will. There are two things I want to say about God's will as we get this series started. Two important distinctions. The first one is this. I call it God's will of decree. God's will of decree. I believe, I'm just telling you kind of my theology at this point. I'm not teaching everybody's, I'm teaching mine. I believe God's sovereign. Because I believe God's sovereign, I believe he oversees everything. There are things that happen in the earth and in our lives. Judgment, for example. He judges nations. He'll even judge people. Uh, natural disasters, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes. All sorts of things. And you understand when these things take place, natural disasters, let's say, we look at it as human beings and we say to ourselves, let's say, you know, I remember tornadoes wiped out Joplin, Missouri. You know, hurricane uh, wiped out, you know, the New Orleans area and the Biloxi area, uh, Katrina. So I could give you uh, these scenarios that you could remember. And when we look at that with human eyes, uh, we say to ourselves, that's not good. That's not good. And, and it's not because of the destruction. Um, but we have to say, at least at this point, at least this is what I believe, not everybody does, but I believe that to some extent, if God controls or oversees everything, then God's will is at work somehow, some way. Now, I was taught when I was growing up in church the concept of God's active hand and his permissive hand. You know, sometimes God literally by his hand does things, and then there are times God, by his permissiveness, apparently allows things to happen. We all know that to be true. There are things that happen in the earth that, that I don't know that God actually made happen, but he certainly allowed it to happen. 
And so when we're taught to pray, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, what we are saying at that point is we're literally saying, I agree with God that His decrees, whatever His will is in the earth, let it come. Now, I don't want America, for example, to be judged. I don't want my nation to be judged. I'm doing everything I can to pray, to intercede, to work, you know, to do whatever I can to, to help stay the hand of God's judgment. But if God, if God has, has a plan that involves judgment, then that's God's will. Then I say, let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done. Who am I to resist your will? Are you following me? Jesus said that it was the Lord that causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Which means, whether you see rain as a judgment or whether you see rain as a blessing, that passage means that God causes the rain, good or bad, God causes the rain and allows the rain to hit good people and bad people, righteous people and unrighteous people. So I can't control the rain. Can you? If you can control the rain, let me know. Because you, I guarantee you, you'd make millions and billions and trillions. But none of us can control the rain. God controls the rain. And Jesus was simply saying that God has a will which everyone may be blessed or challenged. There have been times in my life that I've been incredibly challenged. And you know what? The will of God is at work. Do I like it? Not necessarily. But that's God's decree. God has a will. And there's coming a day when tribulation and judgment will come and there'll be no human involved in it. God simply decreed it. His will be done. That's decreed. But the second area is the one that you all are most interested in and I'm most interested in. And it's the one everybody tries to figure out. And that is God's will of command. This is where we believe that God calls individuals to certain plans and purposes which he has purposed, of which we are expected to respond. In other words, he has a will for your life to do something, to go somewhere, to be someone. Uh, his will is being offered to you, and that's a command, and now you must respond to that will. Now, in Romans 12, verse 2, and I'll be reading this out of the Amplified Version, Listen to what Paul writes in verse 2, Romans 12. He says, Do not be conformed to this world or this age any longer. Uh, do not be fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transferred, excuse me, transformed by the renewing of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. Now that was interesting to me. That which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. Each of you, and me too, are called and asked by God to do something for Him specifically and obey Him specifically. There are things that are his will, which indeed may touch us all. And I'm going to deal with this in a, in a separate message, that there are things in, in the word of God, in the scripture, that specifically say to all of us, it doesn't matter who you are, this is God's will for you. So we'll answer some question that the Bible tells us what God's will is for all of us. Having said that, there is also a will which is for you individually. 
And that will is considered good. So when you apprehend the will of God, you've apprehended a good thing. Isn't that good news? Everyone say, God's will is good. Now listen to me. God's will is good not because it blesses you. God's will is good not because it makes you feel good. God's will is good because it furthers his plan and implements his purposes. So actually, you might not like where you're at right now. But you could be right smack dab in the center of God's will. Let me give you an example. The will of God in Jesus' life was the redemption of humanity. Is that not correct? So Jesus died on the cross to accomplish the will of God. That was his will, and that was a good thing, to which we all say amen, because we wouldn't be saved had not Jesus died on a cross. That's a good thing. But just think of the Lord for just a moment. Think about what he endured. Think about what he went through. I mean, it's good, understandably, for all of us, but for he who had to walk through it, at least in that part of the story, that wasn't an easy thing or necessarily a good thing through the eyes of those who are watching. So understand it wasn't the end of the story. We all get that. But the crucifixion was a horrifically difficult, challenging, a trial-filled uh, moment that Jesus had to go through and God called it good. Now what do we do with the passages where it says to you and to me that we're to lay our life down? For the will of God. Now, that means there may be moments in your life that it doesn't feel good. And maybe he's asked you to do something that isn't easy to, to put your arms around. In fact, the world will look at you, and I'll guarantee you, the world will look at you even in, you're in the middle of a sacrificial, challenging, difficult moment. And the world will give you all of their logic, just like they did Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, doing the will of God, the world was giving him their logic. If you really are the Son of God, you'd come down from there. That, that was their reason, wasn't it? Well, obviously, he's not blessed because if he was who he said he was and did all this stuff he said, he'd pop right off that cross. The world will always have an abundance of counsel for you in the middle of these challenging moments. Even the religious system, even the disciples scattered. Everybody had scattered at that particular moment because they could not see in the cross anything good at that moment. But how many of you know the cross was good? Why was it good? Because in the eyes of God, he saw the big picture. It's good because it's the will of God. It's interesting. What does good mean to God? I put this on the screen. Good from the Greek agathos means it's inherently or intrinsically good as to the believer. Good in its nature. Good whether it be seen to be so or not. Good as what originates from God and is empowered by Him, meaning God, in a believer's life. So good is not good because you think it's good, but rather good is good because God says you're completing His assignment. Boy, that better be true because there have been missionaries through the years that have gone into faraway countries and have labored for decades for one soul. In our pragmatic, practical, fill up the seat 
American Christianity, we look at scenes like that and we say, what good is that? It's not good according to our eyes. It's good according to God's assignment. Are you following me? There are Christians who are facing adversity and setbacks, and yet it's a good thing. Because God doesn't measure like we measure. I've had to remind myself at times that that what I'm doing and where I am at and what it may look like is not dependent upon what any man says, but rather is it or is it not the will of God? I think before this is over, I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to tell you the story about my call, how God spoke to me about going into the ministry. Because it really is kind of an amazing story even as I think back to it. But I remember without telling you the details now, but I remember when God called me into the ministry, there were all sorts of people of influence that tried to talk me out of it. I think back to that. Now, I, I love my folks, and, and they may even be watching, so I, I, I want to say this delicately, but, I, but my folks wanted to talk me out of it. Why? You can't make money doing that. Well, yeah, you could do that, but can't you go learn something else and maybe do that as backup plan? I'll never forget, had, had people, my, my folks went to the Methodist church and I had the Methodist pastor of the big Methodist church. They, he found me one day, he said, hey, why don't you come into the Methodist church, man? Look at, the, look, at the, uh, uh, look at the perks, look at the salaries, look at the retirement plans, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. And, and, and I had all sorts of wisdom come my way to do this or that. Listen, you, you can get all the wisdom you want from the world, the bottom line has nothing to do with what others think or say or see. The question is, am I doing the will of God? Because if the will of God is simply that which makes logical sense to us at all times, then we have reduced God to nothing more than a guy, a man. Am I doing the will of God? Really, this is the will of God to do something this challenging, to do something this hard? It may well be, because you see, I can't see the, the end from the beginning. He can. He's calling me to something that I can't see the end to, but he sees the end to. And by the way, whether or not it actually feels good to me, I'm not the only one in this scenario. He may just be building something through me that someone else may come later. See what I'm saying? We think it's about us. We've reduced the gospel down to what's in it for me. What's in it for me? I don't, I mean, there'll they'll be blessing there, but honestly, that's not the question. The question is, what's God doing? What's his will? Now, the garden, let's talk about this as we're coming here. Actually, I'm, I'm winding my way down to the end as we lay these foundations. Let's talk about the garden and the cup. The garden that Jesus stopped at, Gethsemane, and the cup that he mentions in his prayer. These two things illustrate this really important truth to God's will. The garden. What does the garden represent? You may want to write this down. The garden is the place of yielding to God's will. Everybody in this room, everybody that watches by Facebook Live or YouTube, everybody who says that Jesus is Lord of their life, everybody will face a Gethsemane where you will have to wrestle out the will of God. Now, saying yes to the will of God may not sound like a tough thing to do until you finally realize what it is he's asking of you to do. That's why Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. 
Jesus was saying, I don't know that I really like the scenario that's about ready to be unfold. I'd really rather see this thing go on by. But he said, nevertheless, it's not up to me. It's thy will be done. And so if I ask, are you committed to the will of God? I suspect most, if not all of you, would say, well, of course we're committed to the will of God. But you never really know if you're committed to the will of God until God finally hands you the cup. And once God hands you the cup, then you find out whether or not when you said yes to the will of God, whether you were speaking the truth or not. Now, what does the cup represent? Well, the cup represents the will of God, which can be an incredibly tough assignment. This was interesting. I may have mentioned this before, but it came to me again. I'm just using my own life as an example, but this could fit into all so many of people's lives. When I, when I said yes to God, this was interesting because the Lord called me only three months after I was initially born again. He called me to the ministry. And I, it was such a dramatic call that it was easy for me to say yes. Oh, you want to call me to the ministry? Oh, heck yeah. I, wanna, I love the Lord. I'll follow the Lord. So I'll say yes to the Lord. And it was interesting that I went, when I went to school, when I went to college, and all my peers who had been called into the ministry as well were all studying to do the work of the ministry. And there were times in our, in our, in our college course curriculum or something where we would have to talk about the call of God. And, and I can remember all of my peers, when they would share about the call of God in their life, they would all talk about how hard it was, Brad, to yield to the will of God. Most of them, the reason being is because like you, they grew up in a pastor's house. And so when God called them to the ministry, they had this, this repository of experiences that they watched their dad perhaps go through that when God tapped them and said, this is my will for your life, they knew what they were about ready to walk into and they really wrestled with it. Because they said, I don't know that I really want to do that. I don't want the cup of the ministry. I don't want it. And many of them would say, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Give it to the next guy in line. But they were there because they wrestled through their Gethsemane and had to say, yet nevertheless, it's not my will, but thy will be done. Despite the fact that I know what I'm signing up for. Now, here was, here was my problem. I was blissfully naive. I was ignorant. Heck, I didn't know what the ministry looked like. I, I, I understand. But I was just a guy sitting out there in a seat watching what went on most of the time, 10% of what goes on, on a Sunday. And I thought, well, that looks cool. I think I could probably do that. I mean, I mean anybody can be a pastor, can't they? I mean, it can't be that hard. Oh, heck yeah, Lord, heck yeah, man. Get to hang around nice people. <laughs> See, I was naive. They're always happy and glad and joyful. Oh, heck yeah, Lord, just count me in on this one. Count me in. I was just blissfully dumb. And I remember having done it up to about 2005. Until I finally came to a place, and I've told this story before, I was really wrestling. I was wrestling internally whether, I just don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And I had a powerful prophetic word came my way where the Lord told me through that word, hey, go do your assignment, go do your assignment, go do your assignment. 
but there was my Gethsemane. Those, those peers of mine had their Gethsemane when they were 20, 21, 22 years old. My Gethsemane came when probably I was in my, my late 40s or early 50s. Why was that? Because I understood at that moment what the cup was, what I'm saying yes to. See, here's, here's the deal. You all may be handed a cup by the Lord, and the instant you're handed a cup, the first thing you'll say is, that must be the devil that gave me that cup. Surely God wouldn't give me a cup like that. That, that cup's too bitter. That cup's too hard. That cup, I can't believe he'd hand me a cup like that. That can't be the Lord. I mean, don't tell me you don't do it because this is how we view God's will. This is how, how there. We always think that if we're offered a job and the job entails a raise, then that must be God's will. But if the job comes to you and you might have to do a lateral move or maybe even a backward move, we never think that that could be the will of God. Do we? Surely God wouldn't ask me not to make as much money per hour. How could that be God? And surely if God's going to give me another 15 cents an hour, it must be the will of God to do that. Are you starting to hear what we're saying? I'm not saying that God doesn't prosper you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God won't prosper you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God won't move according to our logic or our, our rationalities. I'm really not saying that. I'm just saying at what point did you really wrestle out the will of God and is the will of God to you simply if it's good and it feels right and it's convenient and it makes everything in me just go, yay, that's God. But anything that might ask of me a cross or a sacrifice or laying my life down, oh, that can't be the Lord. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't factor things like that? That cup, it can't be the cup for me. I'm sorry, I'm just going to be real with you. I have to look at the cup, and my cup says Charleston. Why doesn't it say Tulsa? Or Dallas? Or Charlotte? Or Spartanburg? No, no, it ain't Spartanburg. That couldn't be the will of God. Are you following me? That couldn't be the cup. My cup says, welcome to Charleston. And God's saying, that's the cup. Take the cup. The cup isn't about what you think the cup should look like. The cup is my will. And it doesn't matter if it's tough for the moment. It just doesn't matter if it's my will or is it thy will. Be done. What about your life? Is it all about your strategy, your resume, your vita, your upward mobility? Is it all about what makes sense in your mind? Is it all about what your friends say, your neighbors say, how everybody evaluates things around you? How about it? How, what is it? how do you factor these things? When does it become the will of God? It doesn't matter what the cup looks like. What is the will of God? And the reason you don't hear this anymore is because we have corrupted God's people in church into consumerism. We think the cup better taste good. It better be the right cappuccino in the foyer or you won't get them back. Anything tough, anything sacrificial, anything demanding, anything less than stellar, anything that's not fun. Oh, that couldn't be the will of God. When, when do we dig it out? When do we lay our life down? When do we live for a cause greater than ourselves? When do we say, when? 
When? Paul was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned multiple times. He was run out of town. He was three times beaten with rods, five times whipped with 39 lashes, imprisoned, sleepless nights, robbed, nights, nights, not night, nights spent in the ocean. He was naked in prison. Oh my God, the Apostle Paul was out of the will of God. Why are you smiling? Because you know that's not true. How did he do that? How do you keep going back for your beating? Have you ever thought about that? How do, I, how do I keep going back to prison? How do I keep getting my back whipped? How do I keep doing this? How do I keep getting stoned? How do I keep getting run out of town? How do I keep doing that? How do I, how do I, how do you do, how do you endure this? It's because he said yes to Christ's lordship and he fell in love with the will of God. That's the mark, I'm convinced now, that's the mark of a Christian. Do you love the will of God? No matter what. The question to the Christian is never, is this too hard, too long, too tough, too expensive, too inconvenient? That's never the question. The question is simply, is this the assignment in front of me is it the will of God? And if it is, then whether or not I, I, I love the assignment. Listen, and, and you don't always love your assignment. But you love the will of God. That's why. See, that's, that's the revelation that when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, and as he's moving into Jerusalem, and he looks at Jerusalem, and he begins, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. And he began to weep as he looks at Jerusalem. And he begins to lament out loud. He says, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, if you had only known what God, I'm paraphrasing, what God had prepared for you. Jerusalem, if you had only known, but you who stoned the prophets. If you'd only known, he's weeping over Jerusalem. And hear me when I say this, he knows what Jerusalem's about ready to do to him. And yet he's weeping over it. How could a man weep over something that's fixing to kill him? It's because whether or not he loved Jerusalem, he loved it on the basis that he loved his father's will. And that's why he pressed forward in the assignment. Millions of believers try to find the right church. What do I like? What do I don't like? What's this? What's that? Does this, does this fit me? Does this fit me? I did, does anybody ever pray about these things anymore? Does ever, anybody ever try to seek the will of God? Where, where does the will of God with, with what community that God says that you're to link to, to worship with, and to dwell in? Because there will come a day you may not like your church community, and all it boils down to is, do I love the will of God? Listen, it works. I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to, I love my wife. I've been married to my wife for 35 years. She would say this about me. There are days that we would look at each other and say, this relationship is really hard. She'd say the same thing, probably harder for her than me. She has to put up with me. But here's the deal. On those days, you're not even sure you love your spouse. Why do you hang around? It's because there was a day we made a covenant and we said, this is the will of God. And all hell may break loose. 
<laughs> but it's the will of God. And we may not be smiling today, sweetie, but there'll be a day we'll smile again. Now let me tell you how this happens, and now I'm landing. The will of God demands a consecration. Andrew, if you're with me, come, come, come here real quick. You just come on down here. And uh, pull off one of those sheets for me, and then I just want you to go and just hand them out just real quickly, and they can pass them back. It doesn't have to be real exact, but just thank you, sir. I appreciate you doing that. And Andrew's going to hand you a piece of paper. Now, listen to me. This, I, this is your paper that I will never see. You're going you're gonna to do something with this paper here in just a moment or not do something with the paper. And um, then you're just going to stick it in your Bible or you'll stick it in your iPad and maybe or maybe you'll put it up in front of yourself somewhere. But, but I want you to have this piece of paper in front of you for just a moment or two because I want to talk about the concept of consecration. In Romans 12, verse 1, and I'm coming down to the end, so really zero in. Romans 12, 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, and consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is, your, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Let me, let me tell you what God does when you say he's Lord. I'm never going to see this. Only you, you don't have to show anybody this. This is just going to be between you and God. But this is a contract. And this contract is an illustration of what God hands you when you say to him that Jesus is Lord. God literally hands you a contract. Now, I know you don't remember this because you were just happy you were saved. You were happy that your sins were no longer going to crush you send you into an eternity alienated from God, that you would be separated from Him. You were just so glad that you were saved and that you'd be with Him forever. But, but the Lord slipped something in there that you may not have entirely understood, and so we're going to clear this up. When you said that Jesus is Lord, let me tell you what that meant. It meant that, that the, the Lord Himself was handing you a contract. And this is a lot like what it would look. And there'd be absolutely nothing on the contract. It's a blank contract. There's nothing in it, is there? It's not asking anything of you. In fact, what I just happened to write on it, because this is what I think the Lord would happen to say. It says, I, the undersigned, understand and accept fully, sight unseen, and without reservation, the will of God, as he, the Lord, unveils it for my life, according to Romans 12, 1 through 2. He, meaning the Lord, is at liberty to add, subtract, or modify this blank contract at any moment and for any reason for his purposes in my life. And then he hands this to you. And this is what happens. He hands it to you, and, and, and this is what we do. Now, this is metaphorically speaking, but this is what we do. We, we, we grab the contract and say, well, yeah, Lord, I want, I want your will, but, but tell me what you want. As long as you tell me what you want, I'm happy to sign it. But you see, secretly what that means is I get to evaluate what it is he's asking me to do. See, that's why the Lord says, no, 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 no. You sign it first. You sign it first, and then I'll fill in the blanks. Oh, we'll see. We'll see if I'm really Lord. 
Because you see, what this, th- what this contract really represents is when you say that you trust the Lord, we're gonna, he says, we're going to find out. Sign it, man. Sign it. You said you trusted me. Imagine me being the Lord. You said you trusted me. Yeah, take, you said you trusted me. You said I'm everything. You said you loved me. You call me Lord. Sign it. And we're going, whoa, 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 fill it in. But what, whoa, 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 I, I'll do everything, but I ain't going to do the ministry. My dad was a pastor. Let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. No, 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 no. You may not, you may not like the assignment, but it's nevertheless not your will, but his will. Be done. Well, I'll sign up for anything as, as long as it doesn't take me away from my beloved low country. Oh, I'll, I'll do anything as long as I don't have to move from here because I was born here, I was raised here, I love it here. And Lord, as long as it's here, I'll do anything for you here, but I don't know that I could do it anywhere else. No, 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 that's not how it works. And hear me when I say this, I want you to stay here because my assignment is here. So I would love for you to stay here. But it's not pastor's will. It's thy will. Can you sign the paper? Can you sign the paper? Lord, I, I, I'll sign it as long as it's between 8 and 7. If it's between 8 and 7, you got me, man. I'm, all, I'm there. I'm on it. Mm-hmm. No, no, this is 24-7. 365, anywhere on the globe. Sign the paper. You know what God sometimes does? He sometimes works you like like Abraham where he says, you think you signed the paper? Take your son up the mountain. That wasn't theory. That was reality. And he had to pack up Isaac, did he not? And, his, and the boy goes, if we're going to go up to sacrifice, Dad, where's, where's the lamb or where's the goat or whatever it was? And his father just had, had, simply had to say, God will provide. I don't. How could Abraham do that? Because it wasn't theory. He didn't know what God was going to ultimately say or stop him. God was simply saying, you sign the paper. Let's see if it's real or not. Can you sign the paper? See, Here's what will happen. I'm, and I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying. But I, I, I know enough about people to know. We'll all sign it. And we'll fold it. And we'll put it, we'll put it in our technology. And just say, yep, I'm all in for the will of God until that cup comes. And I'm praying when the cup comes, this falls out. And you hear the Holy Spirit's voice say, whoa, 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 whoa. You signed it. You signed it. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. In old holiness circles, we used to, we used to call that, that consecration that ultimately led in God's sanctification. That it was at that moment of consecration that God would set you apart for his special, unique purpose that he had for you. And the blessing wasn't that 
it necessarily made you millions or that it put you where you always wanted to be or it fed your flesh. The blessing in it all was the knowledge and the contentment and the joy and the peace of knowing that you were in the center of God's will. I'm here to tell you when that's all said and done, you can gain the whole world, but you'll gain absolutely nothing unless you're in the center of God's will. My will or thy will? Let's pray. How about as our heads are bowed, just stand with me, will you please?